0: Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. This week's audio comes from our 2020 virtual conference, where Jen Wilkin gave an incredible talk on remaining faithful and making disciples. That's our mission. That's our task. Every Christian, every leader. And we hope that you'll join us at our fall conferences happening across the United States this year with the theme of mission and moxie. You can learn more at acts29.com. Well, hello, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jen Wilkin and I serve on staff at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. I have responsibility for some of our adult discipleship environments and also recently for our children's and students' environments and family ministry as well. So it's a real honor for me to get to be with you for this particular gathering. I love Acts 29 and I love the work that Acts 29 is doing in the United States and across the world. It is so exciting to see the gospel go forth through church planting efforts and Acts 29's good work. Um, if you are on staff in a church, either as the lead pastor or as someone who has any responsibility for discipleship today, I want to give you a word of encouragement as we look at this particular time that we're in. I want us to talk about what it means to be faithful, to make disciples, to be faithful, to make disciples. And I have some good news for you. Uh, I am here not to tell you anything new. I am here to remind you of something that you already know. The favorite word of the season is unprecedented in these unprecedented times, and we hear it everywhere that we go. I also have been reading the articles that are coming out from people who have every imaginable hot take on what will happen to the church as a result of going through a pandemic. What does it mean that now we're not able to gather for the time being or that we're only able to gather in limited ways? What will happen on the other side of this? And I don't know about you, but man, all of those hot takes can be very disorienting to me, and it can make it feel like, oh my goodness, am I supposed to do something completely new? Is there something completely new that is supposed to happen? So I want to just challenge for a second the idea that we're living in unprecedented times. We may be living in times that this generation has never seen or that have not been seen in recent times, but really, if you're paying attention to what the Bible has to say, there's no such thing as an unprecedented time. Like if you think about the message of Ecclesiastes, which is often kind of a downer of a book for us to go read, you know, it's like Solomon was all sad and boggy and talking about how there's nothing new under the sun. When you're in a season like we have been in for the last 6 months months or so, we actually get to read that and and see it in a little bit of a different light. It's actually very reassuring to know that there is nothing new under the sun. The church has faced challenges before. In fact, if we go back far enough, we would find that the church has faced challenges similar to what it's facing right now before. We will come out on the other side of this and the Lord still sits enthroned between the cherubim. As far as his reckoning is concerned, all times are precedented. And I don't know about you, but I actually am drawing a lot of comfort from that during this time, because where there's a temptation to go into survival mode, we can instead choose to be those who are steadfast versus simply just surviving. And so what does that look like as we look about being faithful to make disciples? what are we supposed to do with some of the things that are being said out there about how the local church is to think about making disciples uh, on the other side of a pandemic, which has driven us to a whole lot of digital content, to a lot of remote offerings, even like the one that you're sitting and watching right now. So I saw an article recently where um, the person who had written it was saying that what we're going to see with the church is similar to what we saw with the rise of Amazon. So basically, uh, he was saying, if you want to look toward the future, you should pay attention to what happened when Amazon began to sell sell virtually uh, pretty much anything you wanted. Because what happened to the local shopping mall? He said, if you go to the local shopping mall, you'll find that now it is empty because Amazon changed the way that people receive goods and services. So his comment was that if the church doesn't pivot and figure out how to live in this new ecosystem in which digital is so important, then we will end up, like the shopping mall, empty. So he was basically saying that on the other side of this, no one might come back to your church because they can just get what they were getting digitally as well. Now, on the one hand, he's right. Uh, Those who have had a customer relationship to the church will in all likelihood not be back. If they viewed coming to church as a place where they receive goods and services uh, in the form of content delivery, then certainly they can get that from their living room every bit as much as they can get it from coming and sitting in person. But the Great Commission does not say, go and satisfy customers. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. So we are facing a moment in which we will be asked, are you going to reinvent or are you going to remember? And I'm asking you to remember, to remember something that is old, not move to something that is new. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's not worth paying attention to how a digital strategy or something like that might fit into the way we think about doing church But what I am saying is that the church is not going to end up like a shopping mall because the church was not serving the preferences of those who came. The church is making disciples. And what else does the Great Commission say? Because that is the charge that is still before us today to be faithful to, that we would make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. So we have our same job before us that we are to teach people, to disciple them into what it means to be a Christ follower. So when we get back to whatever the new normal is after this, if you find that you have fewer people sitting in the pews, it's not all your fault. I would say it's probably not your fault at all. We have had customers sitting in our pews because we inhabit a consumeristic culture. And so there are those who have come and sat in the pews who were there for what they could take away from it rather than to be formed into a Christ follower. And those people are probably not coming back. But I have to tell you that when I hear that, I don't feel sorrow. I actually feel a lot of optimism because the people who do come back, those are the ones who are determined to be formed. They're the ones who will be serious about discipleship. And so I actually believe that the pandemic is giving us a chance to uh, have an opportunity that hasn't been present for a while, an opportunity to sort of reboot some things, to recall and remember things that are true and to implement them in our churches. I think the pandemic is calling us to ask a better question about discipleship than perhaps we have previously. So I want you to think about what happens uh, pretty much every fall or spring when it's time to come up with what the next thing is to teach in a Bible study environment or in a class that you might be offering. And often the first question that we will ask if you're responsible for that environment is, what do our people want? So there's even a little diagnostic tool on, on one of the Christian publishers' websites where it'll ask you sort of a battery of questions so it can determine what Bible study your group might want to go through. And so it goes through questions like, well, do you want something that's New Testament or Old Testament? Do you want something—everybody's going to choose new, P.S.— uh, do you want something that is uh, application-driven or line-by-line? They're all going to choose application-driven. Uh, do you want something that's more devotional in nature? Do you see what I'm saying? Asks all these diagnostic questions, and then it says here— Here's what your group would enjoy doing. So what's the problem with that? What's well, a very consumer-focused approach to thinking about discipleship? Because it assumes that the person who is going to partake in the process knows what it takes for them to be turned into a Christ follower, knows what it means to be trained in these things. Um, If you go out to Amazon right now and look, because every now and then I'll go out there in a nerdy way and check to see what is the top-selling Bible translation that's out there. And so I went out there to do this recently. And when I got out there, I was really disoriented because the number one in the category of Christian Bibles was actually like an illuminated journal. It had you know illuminated verses and places where you could write and even color because it had been miscategorized and put in the Bible department instead of in the journaling department. And the thing is, is that the top selling Bible translation, it was the NIV thin line, was ranked around 1400 on Amazon. And this illuminated journal that was miscategorized, it was at number 45. Like it was blowing away Bible sales like crazy. Why? Because it's driven by consumer demand. So if you want to know what the people who are sitting in the pews will go to, if you just say, what do you want, you can go look at some of those bestseller lists and see exactly what it is that they're choosing. But for those of us who have been charged with the responsibility to guide people into discipleship, those of us who are serving on staff or those of us who are in a lay position where we're responsible for saying what should happen in teaching environments, we need to ask a better question. And the better question that we can ask than what do our people want is how are disciples formed? How are disciples formed? Or put another way, what do they need? What do they need? Because you see, a disciple... Its primary definition is that it is a learner, someone who is learning. It is a person who is formed by growing in knowledge. Now, not just any kind of knowledge. We would assume that it is knowledge that is transforming them into the image of Christ by the power of the Spirit working through the Word. But it certainly has a learning function. So who are some of the most famous disciples of our time? Uh, maybe you might think of uh, the karate, the Karate Kid, right? Remember Ralph Macchio and Mr. Miyagi? And Mr. Miyagi takes on his disciple. And what does he do? He trains him in what it means to do karate or karate. So uh, we know that there are some certain principles that are associated with being a disciple. And it's simply that it's going to be hard work. There's going to be learning involved. And when you first start, you're not going to be good, but you're going to get better, Now, people tend to want to avoid difficulty. And so when they hear that discipleship is not simple, sometimes they want to back away. And that's why we see those bestseller lists on Amazon painted a particular way and not another way. They need someone who can call them to a vision of discipleship that will charge them to action. Now, anytime that I start talking about raising the bar on discipleship, people start to squirm and say, oh, you know, my people won't really do that. You know, they're really, really busy where we are in our part of the world or in our part of the country. And I always say people will do lots of things if they're properly motivated. So people will do whole 30. So I'm pretty sure that they can raise the bar on what they will do with regard to studying the scriptures or learning doctrine. Discipline is not dead. It just chases the most compelling and actionable message. If our people can train to run marathons, if they can uh, commit to all kinds of uh, serious workout programs, then they can certainly commit to learning the basics of their faith and learning their sacred text. The church should be a place where we raise the bar in an age of low expectations There is a French author, his name is Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, and he says this, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. It is our job as those who are tasked with helping disciple generations of believers Not to say, oh, here's a tool you can use. Or, oh, here's a reading plan that you can use. Or, oh, here's a study guide that you should go through. No, it's to do that thing. It's to teach them to long for the immensity of the sea so that they themselves say, where are the tools? Where are the things that we need to make this mission go forward? Because what is this if not an ocean of knowledge about our God? and yet so many of us have only a tangential relationship to it yet our call is to teach them to obey all that he commanded in fact i'm mindful of the other passage in scripture that says a similar thing second timothy 3:16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we know what the primary means of discipleship is going to be. It's going to be scripture and it's going to be all scripture. So even though on the bestseller list on Amazon, you can tell that everybody wants to just go to the New Testament studies and avoid the Old Testament studies. We know that all of it is profitable. So we call them to both of those sections of scripture because you need them both to build the boat. It's a big ocean. But even though all scripture is profitable, not all approaches to scripture are profitable. And so it's our job to help our people toward profitable approaches, approaches that give them firsthand knowledge of their text. A disciple is a learner, not All methods are created equal. When my daughter decided to study chemistry at Texas A&M University, The university did not call her and say, hey, Mary-Kate, can you tell us what is your preferred method of learning? Like how much time can you give to this? Is it 15 minutes every day? Okay, great. We're going to just tailor make sort of a spoon feeding way for you to take in what you need to graduate with a chemistry degree. No, what did they do? They did an old thing. They did a thing that's been done over and over and over again. They said, do you want to learn this? There are better ways, and there are not better ways. But we have a time-tested, tried-and-true way that we know will work to help train you into everything that's necessary to know about chemistry. Why? Because we believe there are very real benefits to you understanding it properly and very real consequences to you understanding it wrongly. Man, There are very real benefits to understanding this properly and very real consequences for understanding it wrongly. This is why it is so critical for us to understand the importance of learning environments in the church if we are to help our learners learn the way that they should. My uh, former colleague, J.T. English, has a forthcoming book called Deep Discipleship, and he says this very well. He says, the tragic irony of the demise of Christian education is that it is happening at precisely the wrong time. Study after study shows that Christians do not know their Bible, the basics of the faith, or how to practice spiritual disciplines. We are basically illiterate when it comes to the Christian faith, yet we are adopting philosophies of ministry that de-emphasize the importance of learning for the Christian life. For some reason, we have grown skeptical of learning and education in the church. This is unfortunate, given the overwhelming evidence that what is lacking in our discipleship is basic biblical and theological literacy. It is tragic that at the moment the church is struggling with deep discipleship. Many ministry models have decidedly moved away from learning environments in the church. For many years in our churches, community has been our number one stated goal, and it is a really, really good goal to have. But if it is our only goal and it overwhelms other goals, then we have to be careful that we don't end up with well-connected communities of biblically and doctrinally illiterate believers. Community matters, but community is also a means toward learning happening the way that it best does. Where does learning happen best? What is the university method, so to speak, that the local church can embrace? Well, if we paid attention to the way that schools are training people, uh, then we would take note of a few things that are key to learning environments, and we might just implement that old thing ourselves. Because up until even the last 50 years ago, many churches did still have these environments. Now, that's not to say that what was being done in them was necessarily accomplishing the goal, but they had the space for it. And for many of us today, we don't even have that space anymore. We need to reclaim a space where learning can happen. And that learning needs to happen along several lines in the church. First of all, a learning environment needs to be dedicated. So what do I mean by that? It needs to be a place where the primary stated goal is learning. Now, it doesn't mean that it won't have a community aspect to it or even a uh, a worship aspect to it, but that the primary goal is that there would be learning that takes place. So this means specifically learning the Bible or doctrine. Now, one of the things that can cause a breakdown in how these learning environments play out is that we lack specificity around what we mean when we use the term Bible study, uh, often Many things are called Bible studies that are not actually studying the Bible. And so because of this, I have found through the years that there are people who have spent years attending something that was called a Bible study, but they still don't know their Bibles because what they were doing was more of a book study or more application driven. And I'm not saying that those are things that are not a benefit, but they're not foundational And so we need to have places where people are actually learning the scriptures. Plain and simple, if you sign up to do a Bible study, you should study the Bible. Like you should get to the end of that study and you should have comprehension of a book of the Bible better than you did when you started. It doesn't mean you will have nailed interpretation or even have the best application that you've drawn from it, but you should actually be learning the Bible better as a result of sitting in a Bible study environment. Um, I have this happen a lot, even with the things that I've written, where people will be doing a, 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 a book club basically together where they're reading through one of my books and they'll say, oh, we're doing your Bible study. And I'm thinking, oh, that's not a Bible study. I have Bible studies. That's a book. And if we don't give precision of terms to people, then they may not be assessing properly or we may not be assessing properly for them where they're spending the majority of their time. And what I find is that most people are spending most, if not all of their time doing devotional, topical, application-driven kinds of curricula, which means that that vast ocean that's out there is never presented to them as a desirable place to go. They're just circling around in a little pond sometimes. So learning environments should first be dedicated, and then they should secondly be active. An active learning environment is one in which students are challenged to partner in the work. So um, you may be listening and thinking, okay, well, you know, we go through books of the Bible when we preach on Sunday, and so that is our place where we're teaching people the Bible. But this is where I would have to press you to say, is that an active learning environment? Because typically, when people come and sit to hear a sermon over a passage of Scripture, they have not spent time in it themselves first, actively working to gain comprehension and interpretation of the passage. So that means that when they come and sit and listen to the sermon, while the sermon is beneficial, I'm a big fan of the Sunday gathering, the sermon is still a passive learning environment. It is one where they're going to sit and receive information, but they will not have perhaps been as actively stirred up to listen before they get there. Now, certainly there are things you can do to help uh, improve their active listening, like publishing a reading plan beforehand or giving them some questions to think about before the sermon begins. But if we say, wait a minute, maybe the gathering's primary purpose is not learning. Maybe it's exhortation and community and and the shared gathering of us uh, to take communion. And it's more than just the teaching piece. But then we also have some spaces where we're just saying, hey, yeah, this one's about learning. This one's about learning. We want you to have content mastery of a a, a doctrinal idea or of a passage of Scripture. And then we say, no, now you're going to do some work as well. You see, too many of us are becoming curators of other people's opinions about a book that we do not trouble ourselves to read. We're content to read commentaries or to listen to podcasts, you name it. All of these remote and passive ways of learning that don't cause us to learn to think. And so all we're doing is collecting other people's opinions. And yet this book can sometimes lie languished as we're doing so, languishing. There's a quote from Howard Hendricks that I love that has governed my whole approach to teaching in Christian education environments. He says, never do for your student your student can do for themselves. That's actually also a really good parenting tactic as well, now that I think about it. Never do for your student what your student can do for themselves. That means that when you're thinking about how to draw your students into a learning environment, rather than telling them the definition of a word, you have them look it up. Rather than giving them all of the cross-references, you help them learn how to look for cross-references on their own. Rather than paraphrasing something for them, you have them paraphrase it. Rather than telling them the outline for the passage, you have them attempt to outline it first. Rather than summarizing the main idea, you have them attempt to summarize it first. All of these ways that they can begin to grow in the learning process. And if you think about it, this is no different than what your third grader might be doing at school right now. It's no different than what your 12th grader might be doing in a high school English class. It's no different than the learning approaches that are taken in colleges and universities and junior colleges. This is the way we learn. We don't just tell people what to think. We give people tools to learn to think better on their own. Don't just ask questions and answer them. We get our students to learn to ask better questions on their own. That is an active learning environment. My son, uh, Matt, learned to play the piano over a period of years. Uh, Once a week, I would drop him off over at his piano teacher's house, and then I would pick him up 45 minutes later, except for a couple of times that are famous in our family when I did actually get distracted and just flat forget to pick him up. But that is a story for another time. So for years, I would drop him off and pick him up. Imagine if at the end of a 10-year period of doing that, I had discovered that while he was at the piano teacher's house, she had said to him, you know what, it's hard to learn how to play the piano. Why don't you sit over here and I will play the song for you, and then you'll just develop an appreciation for music as we go. I would be really frustrated with that. Why? Because her job was not to give him an appreciation for played music. It was to show him how to play the music himself. So, so often when we think about Christian education, we can be thinking, I just need to give them an appreciation for this. But no, what we need to do is give them tools to be able to grow more and more comfortable in opening this and discussing it with peers and sitting under teaching in a way that is informing their minds so that they are becoming better thinkers because right thinking is going to inform right feeling. And if we want to feel deeply about God, we must begin by learning to think deeply about God. That is the base level goal of Christian education in the local church. So we want them to have active learning environments. We want them to have dedicated learning environments. You see, the thing is, is that learning the Bible and learning the doctrines that the Bible is teaching, it takes work. Like it's fascinating to me that when we talk about the aspects of being a Christ follower that will be hard, we list things like, man, it will be hard to reallocate my time away from selfish pursuits, or it will be hard to learn to give my money in generous ways, or it will be hard to face persecution, or it will be hard to X, Y, and Z. But so rarely do I hear someone say, you know what else is going to be hard? Man, getting into this, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And yet the Bible even describes it as something that is not the easiest thing in the world. First Peter 2, 2 describes it as like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. So did you hear that? That's a, that's a nursing analogy. So sorry, guys, I had to throw it out there just because it's in the Bible. But if you know anything about nursing, It is absolutely necessary and it is the best thing you can do for your baby, but it's also incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. It takes learning for that to all work the way that it should. And that's the metaphor that's being given to us to describe our interactions with the pure milk of the word. It's absolutely essential but it doesn't mean that we just intuitively know how to do it. It's going to require some work, but over time we develop a greater proficiency and a greater comfort level with getting into the scriptures. You see, for those of you who may be tempted to think, okay, so you're saying like, go back to the old ways, set up these environments and then call people to a higher standard of learning. Our people aren't going to do that. Like, like, they're tired. They don't have time for this. I would suggest to you that there is a massive opportunity in this moment of uncertainty that we have walked through. You know, there's a saying about, um, about church planting and about churches in general, and it's that you keep them the way you caught them. So maybe you started your church plant without places for people to just gather and learn. Places where you said, you know, this is, you know, for these 10 weeks every semester, for these eight weeks every semester, we're going to have a learning environment that you can come to. Maybe that's something that wasn't a part of your original DNA. And you're thinking, well, I didn't catch them that way, so maybe I can't keep them that way. Well, you have a reset button right now. You have an opportunity to return to an old thing, to something that we already know, something tried and true, and begin to implement it so that the disciples who return to your church on the other side of a difficult time can opt in. See, what we repeat in times of ease, we will recall in times of hardship. I'm going to say that again. What we repeat in times of ease, we will recall in times of hardship. We're walking through a time of hardship right now. And those who had good rhythms of repetition around how to interact with the scriptures, they've been able to maintain them and stick to them. But those who have not had good rhythms previously are aware more than ever of what they lack in terms of spiritual disciplines and and good approaches to the scriptures. They know all scripture is profitable, but they're not sure how to access that profit. And we have a unique opportunity right now to give them liturgies that will hold them when the next time of hardship comes, as it certainly will. We keep them with how we caught them, but we have a reset opportunity. And for those of you who are just starting out, maybe you're just about to plant a church. Think about how you might implement these spaces from the outset so that your people don't wonder if maybe they have to go to a parachurch organization to meet this need. And then when you are ready to start these environments down the road, they're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm getting it over here. We have this sovereign responsibility for the people that the Lord has placed in our midst, this wonderful opportunity to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And it will require learning. And it will require that our people understand themselves to be students whose love of God grows as their knowledge of Him and His Word increases. We can give them a longing for the immensity of the sea. And when they feel it, we can say, Here, here are the tools, here are the materials. Let's go on an adventure. It is not a new message we do not need to pivot what we need to do is remember the old ways my prayer for each of you is that your churches would be places where children and students and adults and senior adults are given tools are surrounded with the tools of discipleship that will help them not just to be learners but to grow into teachers who then teach others to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the people that you have entrusted to each of the churches that is represented here today. Lord, we want our people to have more than just a casual knowledge of their sacred text. More than ever, Lord, we know that they are aware of their need for it. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us hands that are strong for the task. Lord, help us to give them a beautiful vision that we ourselves believe in our core. Lord, help us to call them to a deeper discipleship. Help us to call them to a higher bar. Help us to show them in our own love of your scriptures that this is the better way. Lord, we pray that these churches would be little schools, little schools that are raising up disciples who love God's word, who understand doctrine, who not only can take it in, but who can turn and tell it to someone else that the mission might go forward as it always has. And we ask all these things,